for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Well, good morning, and uh, a big welcome again, and it's great to see everyone. Uh, what a beautiful weekend. Um, really, summer temperatures, delightful. Uh, we're continuing our series, Living the Kingdom, and this morning... If you looked at the notice sheet or you saw the, 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 um, the order as it went out, you'll notice this morning it's, it's fasting. Um, that might not get you, um, but we'll see as we go along, shall we? But um, uh, actually, I, yeah, no, I'll save that a little, for a little bit later. Okay, so um, Matthew, you need to be in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're roughly in the middle of it. Um, let you get there. It will also come up on the screen a little bit later as well. But, um, you know, today we are living in a generation perhaps unlike any other where people want to know how to live. And you've only got to look at the abundance of, of TV shows, of agony, uncles and aunts, pages of books, and, and the abundance of, of count, counselling services that are available to us now. We are living in a world where there's so much crisis, where people no longer know who they are, they no longer know where they've come from, they don't know what their history is, they don't know what their present is, and they don't know what their future is, and they don't know how to work out where they are in the present. And let's be honest, life with all its twists and turns, its ups and downs, it's it's not always easy. And it's not always easy for us as Christians who, when we do know God, when we do know Jesus as our Saviour, when we do know the help of the Holy Spirit, and One of the things about the Sermon on the Mount is it addresses so much in relation to life. It addresses the matter of living, of of true living, of radical living, and a a kind of living that's really upside down to this world. But in reality, when you look at it, it's the right way up. Uh, It it touches on a host of things, and we've already touched on some of those things as we have gone through this series. And you, you, you go through it, and you read about anger, you read about lust, you read about retaliation, you read about anxiety, you read about money, you read about possessions, and, and so we could go on. So this is real down to earth. This is, this is where the rubber hits the road. This is real life stuff. And, and I can't commend to you more uh, than a, a reading and a rereading and a prayerful reading of the Sermon on the Mount because it can have a huge impact on your life. And right at the start, Jesus calls all those who are are struggling to understand life and how it works, to find life, to to come into the blessing of the the good news of the the kingdom of God, to come under his reign. And, And then he teaches them about how to live this radically different kind of life. Uh, The whole sermon is about how we live with God and how we live with one another. Uh, it's, it's about us as a kingdom people living under his reign in a world that doesn't know God and doesn't want to know God and doesn't live this way. It's about how we are to fertilize the world and light up its darkness by the very lives that we live because who we know and who we follow. So when you look at church history, it's, it's fascinating. I'm a, I love church history. I love reading stories of how God uh, raised up people, uh, used them in all sorts of different ways. And in church history, there's a guy called Count Zinzendorf and, and the group known as the Moravians. And Count Zinzendorf and the Moravians sought in every detail of their lives, both in their business, in their pleasure, in their Christian service, in their civil duties, to 
take the Sermon on the Mount as a lamp to their feet. And their dedication to to believing in and following Jesus in this way led to a a 100-year prayer meeting and a worldwide missions movement. I mean, that is tremendous. Go and read their history. It's amazing. The Puritans, and we so often think of Puritans negatively, but there was a a positive aspect of the the Puritans later. People became Puritanical, which is a a different thing altogether. But the Puritans, who also made a huge impact on the world, were, were said to have lived simply for an audience of one, as if the only one whose opinion really mattered was that of God and God alone, a principle that's found here in the Sermon on the Mount. So this morning we we land on the verses about fasting. And if you'd like to turn in your Bibles, we're going to read uh, the context here. So we're going to look at verses 16 and 18 in context of Matthew chapter 6. But the big danger for us is in dealing with these verses in isolation from the rest of the text. It's always the danger for any preacher. It's always the danger for any of us as we read the Scriptures. We, we pick on a verse in isolation and treat it in isolation. And, and then we, we can go down different rabbit holes and go in different directions. And in fact, these verses are part of a unit that actually begins at verse 1, chapter 6, and runs through to verse 18. And uh, so let's just read, shall we? And it's going to come up on the screen. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you that they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And then your Father, who sees what's done in secret, He will reward you. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand, love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who's unseen. And then your Father who sees what's done in secret, he will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then down to verse 16. When you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast... Put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting. But only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So, we're here, in one sense, looking at fasting. But in actual fact, to do justice to the text, we need to go beyond that to see the context And in many ways, the context is more important this morning than talking about fasting. As I've prayed and meditated on it, I've I've been drawn to actually how Jesus approaches this very particularly. And the interesting thing is that when you you, you look at other writers and commentators, very often they come to the verses on fasting and they launch off onto fasting, and that actually is not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the how the way they go about fasting. And it it comes through in these verses here. So these verses and the subjects they cover, giving, praying, and fasting, actually form the center of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. 
And so they ought to be really treated as a whole rather than separately. Each of these disciplines are critical parts of our our worship, our, our discipleship, our communion with God. Now, some of us, you know, in, in spirit-filled, charismatic circles, we, we don't like the idea of disciplines because actually we, we, we've come into freedom, so we don't need that kind of stuff anymore. It's interesting that the context in which Jesus speaks this and affirms what they are doing is in very, very much a disciplined context where they would have had regular times of prayer, where they would have had regular fasting during the week. And so he doesn't say, no, you shouldn't do it. It's about the how of their doing. So we tend to like, we tend to kind of, uh, uh, you know, we, our backs go up when it comes to talking about disciplines. We can kind of think, well, we don't want to go down that route because isn't that legalism? And the answer is no, not if it's approached in the right way. So a brief comment on, on disciplines before we go any further. They are, they are tools, they, they are means, they are not straitjackets. Uh, and Another thing to notice is that an undisciplined life is actually a wasted life. It dissipates and it leaves nothing of any substance. And the last thing I want is to to get before Father in eternity and find out that my life has been wasted. But for my life to achieve anything, there need to be certain disciplines in place, certain things, certain structures that help me to become the person that God wants me to be, to help you become the person God wants you to be and do. Just think for a moment of the dangers of an undisciplined soldier. Think for the moment of the dangers of an undisciplined footballer, thinking, well, I don't need to practice. I've got the gift. I can just turn up and play. And uh, sometimes you discover there are some youngsters like that who kind of think they've just got it and you just fit me in the team and I'll play the game you want. It doesn't work like that. Jesus expected them to continue in the disciplines that they already had. He says, when you give alms, when you pray, when you fast, not if. So it was an expectation of his that they would regularly be giving. They would regularly be praying. They would regularly uh, be fasting. There were set prayers and set fasts. There was that expectation that they did these and would continue doing these things. And and together they make for a healthy Christian life. They go hand in hand and they they cover the aspects of others and God and ourselves. So interestingly, apart from some brief instruction on prayer, which is in verses 7 to 15, the how, the dynamics of, of giving, of praying, and of fasting are not dealt with. Because there's another issue going on here. Jesus is interested in their motive. He is interested in our motive. Because we can do all those things, and as people did in those days, and and many of them were from uh, renewal and radical reform movements within Judaism. Um, But their focus was on the doing. Their focus was on the externals. And Jesus is is interested in in the internal. He's interested in the attitude of the heart and of the mind. And uh, so when you, when you look at this, Jesus, yeah, he notices their fasting. He notices their praying. He notices their giving. But in what way are they doing those things? The problem Jesus is countering, and it's still around us today, and, and we find it within ourselves, as we, we can put great store by particular practices, believing that they mark the boundary and the experience of what it means to be devout, what it means to be spiritual, what it means to be a godly person. Do these things and you're holy. Don't do them and you aren't. It becomes all about those external activities. How I look in regard to others. 
There were many religious people around. People who belonged to reform and renewal movements, they did these things. But Jesus has a problem with the way they are doing them. He has a problem with their heart. They either did them in the wrong way or they didn't go far enough in the doing of them. And it's become, it had become more about what people thought than what God thought. It was more about people-pleasing than God-pleasing. It was ritual over relationship. And let's be honest, we can get like that. We can focus on the activity. We can focus on what we're doing. And we can find ourselves going through the motions. And you can think, well, what did I pray about this morning? You can, you can find yourself reading the scriptures. And, 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 and later in the day, you can think to yourself, well, what was I reading about this morning? Because we, we get into a rote fashion. We get into a, if you like, a religious way of doing it. And so in verse 1, Jesus says, watch out. Watch out. Beware of practicing your righteousness before people in order to be seen by them. So this is Jesus' concern, the way they practice righteousness. Now, we're not talking about justifying righteousness here. We're not talking about imputed righteousness. We're talking about their daily following of Jesus, their, their daily righteousness in the practical world in which they find themselves. It's interesting that, you know, there are people who've read the Sermon on the Mount and they say it's too high for here. It's for a later time when the world will be a different place. Well, it won't be needed then. <laughs> you know, it's, it's needed today. And many people have proven that actually it is possible to live in response to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. So he says, beware of practicing your, practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And the reason for it is, then you will have no reward from your Father who is in the heavens. In some way... Practicing their righteousness externally for the, the, to be seen and to have the benefit of others' responses would rob them of something in their relationship with God. In some way, they would gain one thing, that approval of their, their fellow peers. They would gain that, that approval, but they would lose something when it came to their relationship with God. They would gain one thing, but lose that which was most important. So Jesus says, it's not, not that you won't be rewarded, but you won't get the reward that is most important. And it's interesting to, to just note that. To, to, we, we can end up living for the praise of others. And you know, when we live for the praise of others, it leads to a, a bloated ego, and it leads to a shriveled soul. And that's the last thing we want. You see, when, when Jesus was speaking to them, he was interested in who they were as real people, as people living this with God life. And he's interested in, in who they are on the inside, and he wants them to, to be full people in every way, experiencing his reign. And to, today, we, we kind of see everywhere that, that desire to, to be thought something of, to be in the in crowd, to be, to be called, to have the praise of others. It's if you put a, a, a message out on, on uh, say, Facebook, how many likes will I get? And if you get lots of likes, you kind of feel good. And, but if there's nobody likes your post, it's like, where were they? Didn't they realize the good picture I put up there, the good thing I did, that thing I wrote? If you're a blogger, the same thing. You can end up wrapped up in how many people are following my blog? How many people affirmed my blog when I wrote this last one this last week? And suddenly you can just be living for the praise of people. And so when it goes up, you go up. And when it goes down, you go, oh my goodness, what's happening? What do I need to do? It's particularly prevalent among the younger generation. 
And it can happen in so many different ways. You know, when someone sends a text and they don't immediately get a response, it's like, oh my goodness, they don't like me anymore. You know, that's, that's a big issue. If ever you send a text to me, don't expect an immediate response. <laughs> I am on planet Earth, but I have other things to do as well, and they all have to fit within our lives and need to be managed in various ways. But you know, we can get into that kind of living that, whereby we're driven by all the time by those around us, by the approval of others. So that the, the problem for us is when, when affirmation goes up, and we get the approvals of our, our fellow travellers on, on this road together. And it's right that we, we do give encouragement, and, and encouragement is received as well. But there is a real danger in it that we end up living for that approval. And it becomes a snare to us, and it, and, and it can really rob our souls in a big way, and rob us in our relationship with God. We want to be liked. We want to be affirmed by everyone. Our focus is on men and women rather than on God. So Jesus is a, about training his followers how, how to commune with, with God and to live out this with God life. And I'd like us to see the Sermon on the Mount in that way as this very positive affirmation of life with God in the midst of wherever you are at this moment in time. You have a life. You have a life that's going on and around you. And that is the life where God has placed you. And it's how do I live that life? How do I live that life and fulfill this righteousness that he is calling us to in, in following him in obedience? The Sermon on the Mount is about dis discipleship. It's not, it's not a matter of what I do, but it's how I do it, religious or otherwise, as we see when we're looking at this. So it's about how I pray. What are my motives when I'm praying? What are my motives when I, when I pray in public? What, what are my motives when I put chairs out? What are my motives when I play and sing in the band? What are my motives when I serve refreshments? What are my motives when I clean toilets? Brother Lawrence, uh, a, a well-known guy, says, our sanctification doesn't depend upon our works, but in doing that for God's sake, which we commonly do for our own. That, that's, that's kind of powerful, that is. Because sometimes we just think, God, if you were to get me somewhere else, I could really do the God stuff. You know, I could really serve you and you could really know what a great guy and what a great woman I am. But God says you are where you are in the life that you are living. And it's how we do the God stuff there. With all, all the trials and the tribulations, the ups and the downs of it. How, what, what, how do I go, go about my, my daily life? How do I go about work? You know, there are times when I've, I've kind of got a bit heavy with life and I got a bit grumpy with people. I wish they would just do what they're meant to do, you know? And you end up doing it yourself and you do it in a grumpy frame of mind. A few smiles going on around. You know, we, we all know what that's like. And the problem is, we, we, are not, we are not living for one, we're living for others, we're living for ourselves. I read a story in, in prepping for this of a a guy who is serving in an unknown area, a, a gifted guy who's serving in an unknown area amongst people of great need. And people say to him, my, you have such gifting. Why don't you do? When are you going to do? Etc. Etc. Now, he could follow that and live for the applause of men. But he says, I'm living for the audience of one. 
And this is where God wants me. And if it's, if it's where he keeps me to the day I die, I will do it every day to his glory and to his praise. And when you read what he does, you'll be surprised. That's kind of, whoa, you, you, that kind of hits you. So it's about how we live the lives that we have been given to live in the place where we live them. Jesus, notice then, doesn't go into great deal, detail about praying or giving or fasting, but rather he goes, he goes for that which comes and goes before and after and with the whole thing, the pray, giving, praying and fasting. Jesus is teaching them how each one of these relates to practical righteousness, down-to-earth living before God our King. The righteousness of the, the kingdom of God, which is righteousness, is peace and it's joy in the Holy Spirit. If I start living for the applause of others, what, when that applause ceases or I don't get it one day, then what do I do? I try harder. I push myself. I polish things in different ways because I just need that affirmation in some way or other. It's a dangerous place to get. But when we live for one's applause, that is a totally different thing altogether. You see, when we live for the applause of others, it can shape the way we do things, and, and it, it means we can be all things to all men, and we can kind of have no real sort of... Our life just dissipates as it filters out in different ways. So there is, throughout the whole of this sermon, a call to a deeper, more real, more transforming relationship, the relationship that comes through living for the one rather than others. Any other righteousness will be influenced or modified uh, by those around us, by what they think and how they feel. So when it comes to it, the, the Sermon on the Mount is a, it's a heart thing. It's, it's a God-centered thing in which God, uh, God knows us. God knows our circumstances. And God is the one who provides the reward. So it's a heart thing. It's a God the Father thing in, in which we encounter Father and which we discover that he is an amazing reward for our souls. And which if we go after other things, we'll find our souls robbed of that reward and we'll find our souls diminished. The whole sermon then revolves around the Father heart of God. And, and, and so there's no way this is about rules and regulations. This is about a relationship. This is about how you live with Father God. And we, we've been singing this morning that you know God loves us, God knows us, God God has called us. God has uh, taken those who are orphans and he's gathered them in his family and, and we belong and he's our father in heaven and we're his kids and it's, it's really great. And Jesus wants us to know that and to, to live in the fullness of that. It's about learning to, to love and, and, and serve God for himself because he is the treasure. He is the treasure. He is the reward. He is the, the joy of one's heart. We, we don't give to impress others. We don't pray to manipulate God and be considered special by others. We don't fast in order to twist God's arm and make people think, wow, he's really spiritual. They simply become manifestations of our inner life with the Father and are done in a completely different way. So it's about our lives being centered in and finding delight in, in the Father. It's the joy of our hearts. It's living for this audience of one and receiving the applause of the Father. It's not about a law. It's not about making us feel bad, but the whole sermon is good news. It is the gospel. Not only for those that Jesus is inviting into the kingdom now, but for those of us who are living in the kingdom, it's good news. 
But let's be honest, sometimes we live as if it's not. Like we kind of get in and think, wow, what an amazing offer, like some of the deals you find out there. What an amazing offer. We, we go for the offer and then, we, take a, and then we, get in, we get hold of it and we live in it and think, oh my goodness, what have I let myself in for? No, Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it in abundance. But for that to be the case, our lives need to be centered in Jesus. We, we need to be living for the applause of one. We need also those structures in place that help us grow in our, our relationship with him. No relationship grows casually, it grows intentionally. And so when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, there's an invitation here. It's an invitation to reorient our values. It's a, an invitation to reorient our habits, to reorient uh, our external performances to internal transformation. So my, my question this morning is this. Where are you at? Are you kind of going through the motions? Was there a day when you once knew him as the passion of your soul? Can you look back and see a better day and you think, oh, if, if only I could get back there again. When Jesus was the love and the delight of your heart and you, you served him in that way. Well, there's an opportunity to reorient your life this morning before you go home. So we come together in worship. Where are you at? What about your praying? Why do you do it? Why do you give? Why do you fast? And, and Jesus expects that we will fast and we will discover that the, the, the early church fasted. And it's a principle of the Christian life. Is it more about going about our duty? Is it about performance? Or is it about this growing relationship where we're so thrilled with Jesus? Let's stand, shall we? Are you living this morning for the, audi for the audience of one? When you pray, when you give, when you fast, as you go about your daily life, how are you going about it? And here's an opportunity this morning for you to just reorientate your life and say, God, I've, I've been doing that with the wrong motive. And I really want to do this in a different way. Because I want to know you as my reward this morning. I want you to, I, wa I want to know your affirmation. I, I've been guilty of the affirmation of others. And I've, I've sought that and and sometimes it's been good and sometimes it's let me down and I know I can't live that way anymore. Jesus, would you be the center of my life? Would you be that?